Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Talk about this second week of, of house, house of Prayer. And I started off last week in Matthew 21. That's where Jesus, he comes into Jerusalem, right? He comes into uh, ultimately the temple. He comes into the house of God. And Jesus is met with, he's met with trade. He's met with sales. He's met with business. He's met with activity. Uh, he's met with um, just a lot of function is taking place. He's met with production. And ultimately, Jesus, I, I feel that his heart is broken over this because this, I feel like, becomes a lot of times the defining mark of success and strength in a believer's life or especially the house of God. Like a lot of times when Jesus comes in, we point to all the things that we are doing. Uh, we're pointing to all the people that are coming, which is great. We want to see new faces, but I feel like we actually look to these things to define whether or not we are successful. And Jesus comes in. I feel, I feel like part of him overturning the tables and driving things out is not because he's an angry tyrant God, but his heart was breaking because the house of God wasn't functioning and how it was meant to function. And I just had this picture. Uh, this was actually a few months ago, but, but especially for right now where the Lord drives and overturns all of these things. And who is left in the temple? It's, it's Jesus. And with Jesus standing at the center of the temple... He says, my house, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. In other words, what, it, what I feel like he's showing is my house, a house of prayer, is one that is centered on my presence. Right? We shared, we went in depth last week about this. House of prayer is not just us all uh, learning a prayer language, right? It's not just us just having a, I don't know, just valuing prayer. Like, he, it's a house that is centered on the living presence of God. And he said something so, so important. He says, it is written when he said this. You remember that? It is written. Which means when Jesus says that his house is meant to be a house centered on his presence, Jesus wasn't giving something new. It wasn't like he just came up with this idea on the spot. He says there's something that's been established already. There's a precedent that was set in the Old Testament. It's how it has been. It's how it's supposed to be to this day. But you've made my house into a house of commerce and trade and business, right? And this, this to me is so critical because that means there's something that I think that we can tap into in the Old Testament. We can look at and see what Jesus probably was referring to. Because a lot of times when we talk about what does it mean to be a house of prayer, I feel like it gets really personalized, where it's like, well, every church identifies that they're a house of prayer. And usually it's because, well, on this side, we, uh, we, we have a right attitude towards prayer, right? And so we're a house of prayer. And over here, it's like, well, we really uh, tell people to make sure they have some quiet time with the Lord. So we're a house of prayer. And all of that is biblical and good, but... Jesus was saying there, there's something that was set up. There's a pattern that was set up that I'm not just telling you to kind of define this on your own terms. There's actually proper, a proper picture of what it looks like to be a house centered on my presence, right? And so what we got into last week and what we've really been drilling into and what's been giving language to these beholding sets is that I believe one of the clearest places uh, that we see what it is to be a house centered on the presence of the Lord is David and the tabernacle of David, do you guys remember we talked about that? We talked a lot about this last week. Just, just hear me on this because it's this going to lead us into today. The tabernacle of David. David was a man after the presence of God. It said he was a man after God's own heart. David's first move as king in First Chronicles 13 was to bring the ark back into Israel. 
In fact, if, if you were to actually read the scriptures, you would find out that the Ark of the Covenant was left in a barn. It was a side issue during the leadership of Saul. And therefore, there was man-centered leadership taking place. And David's first move was not to build his military. It was not to reform the economy. He says, the first thing we're going to do is get God back in the midst. The first thing we're going to do is put the presence of the Lord in the center. David says, you want to know my political strategy? It's to make God the center of all that we do. And so the question then becomes, well, how did David pursue the presence of God? Well, David established a tabernacle known as the Tent of David. And this is phenomenal because so many times when we hear tabernacle or tent, we immediately think of Moses. This was so different than the tabernacle of Moses. David's tabernacle, here's what he did. He took the Ark of the Covenant, representative of the presence of God. What the ark was to Israel is what Jesus is to the church. And he took the ark and he put it in the middle of a tent on a mountain called Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It was right next to his palace, which was the governmental headquarters. So right next to his palace, there's this, this house where the presence of God is put in the center. What's amazing about David's tabernacle is that there were no veils or partitions. Very different than Moses' tabernacle. And so this is why I believe it is so revelatory of the new covenant and what we have access to in Jesus. For Jesus would ultimately tear the veil so that all have access to the presence of God now. This is good news. <laughs> this is so different. You know, it lasted for 33 years, which is so prophetic of Jesus as well. It's like David's tabernacle is like this anomaly, right? Like Melchizedek just shows up, disappears, but yet we know there's so much types and pictures for Jesus. David's tabernacle like shows up, it's there, it disappears, but it was such a picture of what would come in the new covenant under Jesus. So David, he sets up this tabernacle, puts the presence of God, the ark, in the middle on Mount Zion, and then he, he calls 4,000 musicians. He hires them. He hires 288 singers. He hires 4,000 gatekeepers. David employs a staff of 10,000. And we just said, man, this guy, he, when he says that there's one thing he's after, it's, it's, not, it's not just lip service for him. Like he invested time, resources into this. And he sets up these worshipers and he puts them in, uh, in groups, which I'll get into in a moment. And they actually, it says they surround the ark. If you can have this picture, imagine like this was a massive tent. The ark is in the center right here and the worshipers are surrounded and it says night and day they worship and praise God. Night and day, this is David's strategy to having a flourishing kingdom. As he said, we're going to have a house that just constantly worships, praises God, and encounters him. And from this place, believe it or not, for 33 years, 33 years, sacrifices of animals came to an end, but they offered up sacrifices with their lips for 33 years. So prophetic of what would happen in the New Testament. Do you know that 70 to 80% of the Psalms that David wrote were in this tabernacle? Literally, the psalms that we read and still sing today, psalms that inflame hearts to pursue Jesus, man, it came from this place. They wrote psalms about Jesus. They didn't realize they were writing it about Jesus. Like God gave them access to the deep things of his heart. They would prophesy with their instruments. Like these are things that I believe are going to come from our house as we continually come before the presence of God and behold him. David commanded kings to keep the Davidic worship, and I'll go out into that in weeks to come. But here, here's the big thing is that David's kingdom flourished, flourished. He, he was victorious. He prospered. And so much so that God said, when my son comes, Jesus, he's going to sit on the throne of David. What was it about David that God said there's no king like him? 
And we see that it's, it's at the heart of it was his attention to the presence and this tabernacle, this house of worship, this house of prayer. And so I say all that to just bring you up to speed, but here's the question is, he says, I'm going to pursue the presence. David says, we're going to do it this way. But where in the world did David get this idea? Where in the world did David get an idea to put the God at the center, surround with worshipers, and have unceasing night and day worship praise going forth? Like, where did he get that? Was David, was he crazy or was he inspired? Like, what, was, what would cause David to spend millions of dollars just on payroll to finance uh, these, these worshipers to come before him? Because they didn't have any other work. It says they didn't need to. He paid them for this. What, what caused him to invest such time into this? Like, was this just David walking down the street one day and said, wow, I've got a really good idea. Let's do something radically different, right? No, no, no. Th- this is so important, guys. I want you to, I want you to catch this. It says in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 32, it says that when David set this up, he told the worshipers to minister to the Lord. And it says, according to the order. According to the order, which means David had an order that he was following. And so the question becomes, well, where did David get this order from? And in many ways, it's, it, it, it alludes to this, but First Chronicles 28, verse 19, it says that the hand of God was upon David and would give him insight into how to do things. And so I believe with, without a doubt that God actually released a heavenly blueprint to David onto how to engage and worship him. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because we're about to look at Revelation 4, a picture of the throne room of God. Like right now, God dwells in a throne, on a throne. Like there's a real dwelling place where he's being worshiped. And when you see the parallels between what David set up and what goes on in Revelation 4, it's unbelievable. Are you ready to look at this? So here's what I want you to do real quick. Did every, every one of you get a sheet like this, hopefully? If not, I see Pat in the back uh, with the blue shirt. He's got extra ones if you want to grab this. I want you to see this. You need one? <laughs> we may need one up here. I, guys, I want you to catch this, and I promise we're going we're gonna to run full steam ahead. But this is so, so beautiful when you see this. David, unlike any other king set up a specific order. God's hand was on to give him insight. Well, where did David come up with this? Now, just look at this for a moment. The order of David's tabernacle. Look at the left side. Let me just read one on the left, and then we'll go to the throne room, which is what we're about to read. I just want to give this to you just up front, and we'll go deeper in a moment. But it says this. I put on the first side, David crowned God king and placed the Ark of the Covenant in the center of the tabernacle and made worship central feature to his government. So Ark goes in the center, there's going to be worship going on all around him. Well, you know what we're about to read in Revelation? When John has a vision of the throne room, guess what's at the center? The presence of the Lord. And guess what surrounds it? Worship like crazy. Now let's go even further. This gets even better. David set up all these worshipers and singers, but you know what he specifically did? It says that he assigned four key chief worship leaders. One of them was himself, and then he had these three other guys. And all the scriptures are here for you to go look this up. But it was David, Heman, Jedathan, and Asaph. Do you know that the scriptures say that they were prophets? They prophesied with their instruments? Do you know, do you know what it means to be a prophet? It, another word was a seer. You could see. You could see what God was doing. You could see who God is, and you would begin to speak into that. Well, do you know what's in the throne room, or what we're about to read? 
There's four chief worship leaders called the four living creatures. They surround the throne of God, and guess what? They are covered with eyes. They have the gift of sight as well. And they're the ones who actually lead worship in the throne room. Do you know what David did after the four? He set up 24 elders to then take teams to lead probably in one-hour sets every single day. Do you know what's in the throne room of heaven? 24 elders representative of overcoming believers. Wow, where did David get these numbers and ideas from? Do you know that it says for you to keep going? It says that the elders with, that David assigned, they worship with string instruments. Specifically, it talks about the harp. Do you know, and next, next week we'll probably get into Revelation 5. Do you know what the elders say, what they're worshiping with in heaven? A harp. <laughs> like, this is unbelievable. Do you know that it says that there's unceasing worship that takes place in the tabernacle of David night and day? Do you know what we're about to read in Revelation that goes on? Perpetual, unceasing worship. Literally, David didn't come up with this idea on his own. He received a divine download of the exact replica of what takes place in heaven, and he put it on earth. Whether or not he fully recognized this, I don't know, but this is how the kingdom of heaven comes on earth. He began to set up an order that was, that was exactly what takes place in the heavenlies. David tapped into a heavenly model and released it on earth. And before John and Revelation ever saw this, David got a picture of it. So what we're about to do is we're about to study Revelation 4, the throne room of God, and we're going to come to such a better understanding of what happens when we start beholding the Lord like we did Friday night. Like what is actually taking place when we begin to commune with God? It's so much deeper than what we just see in the natural. And I, I, trust me, if we really connect with this, it will so change our communion with the Lord, our worship, our prayer, and it will change like these beholding sets. I'm telling you, that's, it won't be how do we get people into this? It'll be how do, how do, we, how do we tell people like enough, you got to go home. Because we're going to see we're, we're locking into a heavenly reality. Are you with me? All right, so make sure everyone's here. Revelation chapter 4. I'm just going to highlight a few scriptures. I mean, I'll read through it, but just a few of them I'm going to highlight, especially the ones on the, on the front end. But as we study this, I think we're going to have a better understanding of what takes place when we come around the presence like we did Friday night, like we did this morning, and we're still doing. So look, as, let, me, let me preface it this way. As David's central thing was the presence of the Lord, what we're about to read is the central theme of Revelation 4, is that there is a throne in heaven with God at the center. The throne room of heaven, it's not a fantasy place. It's a real place that God dwells right now. Like right now, the Father, the Son, they dwell there. He lives in us, it's true, but he actually dwells there right now. And I want you to know that Jesus left this place in order to bring you into it. Now, we may not see that until we cross the other side of eternity, but here, right now, by the Spirit, this is actually what we connect with. Like this is, this is so, so beautiful. Hebrews 4.16 talks about how we can now approach the throne of God with confidence. What throne is that? This throne right here. When we, guys, when we pray, when we worship, when we seek the face of God, when you get up early in the morning and the kids are still sleeping and you can barely like get the eye boogers out of your eyes and you need a cup of coffee and everything feels so natural when you're in that room by yourself. It may feel like that, but you know where you're going? You, you, are, you are coming into the throne room of God. Like if we catch what, we, what actually happens, it will change the way we connect with the Lord. And like Friday night, we're not just sitting in a small office in a town way out on the east end that most people just drive by to go to the beach. 
Like, we are connecting with God and his throne. That's why it's not, it's irrelevant of really how many people come or where you are because the power is found in do you understand who you're connecting with? Do you understand like what's actually taking place in the spirit realm? And that's what's, that's what's happening right here. So I want you to know that this is a real place that you can connect with, not just in our beholding sense, but like every day when you come away with the Lord, I want you to see like this is where you're going. So check this out. Here's John. Again, so much we can get into on Revelation. Uh, here's my plug. We do it every Wednesday. Join us <laughs> on our Revelation Bible study. I'm not going to touch even a fraction of those things, but you'll still be able to catch a heartbeat of, of why these beholding sets in that tabernacle of David was so powerful. And in weeks to come, we're going to share more of David's tabernacle. Here it goes. John says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven... And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. This is the voice of Jesus saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Verse 2 says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, behold, like look, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And verse 3 says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Let's stop here. I'm going to highlight more than anything probably these first few verses. John, it says, it says that Jesus comes to John and says, Come up here. Why? Moses received this same call on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, 20. The Lord said, Moses, come up. The call to come up is because God wants to reveal and speak to us. And so there's something that God wanted to show to John. In other words, it's an invitation into a spirit of revelation. Not, not, not some, it's not counter to the word. It's not some secret knowledge. It's just God is his desire to say, come away with me because I want to show you things. And I felt like we are living in a time especially like these sets and what we're, what we're engaging, what we're launching is always significant. But I feel especially in this hour, the Holy Spirit is speaking to a people to come up higher. To like come up here. Like, like come up out of the spirit of politics. Come up out of the spirit of religion. Come up out of shame and guilt and come into the spirit of revelation. He says he wants to show a body something. And if we just spend all this time engaging with the swirl of what's going on around us, it waters down our witness. Because you will find that those that come up will see him rightly. And then they start declaring to the world, he's holy, he's the true one. And we're able to actually like, like make an impact on this world. And I believe like in this hour, God is looking for bodies and they're emerging. And we're going to be one. And I pray you get on board with this because it's going to be glorious. That he's looking for a body that says, Lord, we're going to answer that call. We need to come up higher. We need to come up higher above our political perspectives in this hour. We need a kingdom perspective. We need to come up above Facebook debates. We, we, we need to come up above our denominational positions. We need to come up above the negative news outlets. We need to come up above just everything that's just going on. Like, there's got to be a people that say, I'm going to prioritize this thing. I'm going to respond to the call to come away, to come up and really see the Lord and engage with this. The Holy Spirit wants to lock us into a greater reality, guys. And I promise you, we'll see it here. We'll see it in weeks to come. The more we answer this call, the more we started really seeing the beauty of God, the glory of God. And it's going to affect the way that we live. And so John receives this call to come up and he, he responds to it. And look what it says in verse 2. 
What's the first thing that John sees? Verse two, it says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. The first thing that John sees is a throne with God sitting on it. In other words, John had a revelation that God is at the center. God is at the center. <laughs> like all that's going on in this world, God's at the center. The, the primary revelation of heaven is that God sits at the center and all things revolve around him. Like if we're going to be a church that says we behold the Lord and bring his kingdom, you cannot bring the kingdom of God if the king is not at the center. Like there are many kingdoms that we can establish. Kingdoms, our own kingdoms, our own little things. But if we're gonna establish the kingdom of God, it's because that king is gonna be at the center of all that we do. Like if we're gonna bring heaven on earth, the kingdom of heaven, it's because we're saying we're prioritizing the king of heaven. We're saying he's central to all that we do. Listen, I believe deeply in my heart that there is a shift that I shared a little bit last week. There is a shift coming in Western Christianity and it's gonna be a glorious shift. It's Revelation 4 is gonna be the antidote for man-centered church. <laughs> like the more you get people who day and night come before the presence to worship him, the more they're seeing God at the center and they're realizing, wait a minute, I'm not at the center of this. The more you get people around this, they're gonna start saying, wait a minute, my methods, like my ways are not enough. Human methods are like leaky wineskins. They cannot hold what the Lord wants to pour out. And so the more we start engaging them and seeing him, you start realizing, my goodness, this isn't about me. This isn't about my little ministry. This is God is center. And when that starts happening, it breaks self-dependency, self-exaltation. And all of a sudden, when Jesus becomes center, lives start getting wrecked in a glorious way. Like stuff that we could never do, he'll be able to do by just simply pointing people to gather around his presence, which is what we are doing more than ever in this season. It says that when he sees this throne, he sees one that is seated on the throne. So crucial for our hour. John gets a picture of God at the center, but what he sees is one who reigns. How many of you were there Friday night for our beholding set? The Holy Spirit began to reveal Jesus as the one who reigns. And we all just, you could just feel it. Like he tapped into that. And we knew that this is what the spirit wanted to show us. It's like a magnifying glass right on Jesus and said, look at Jesus, like he reigns. And when John, when John started beholding the Lord and he responded to the call to come up higher, what happened was is he saw one seated on a throne. Like he saw one that's above every principality and ruler of this world. He saw one that reigns above our White House. <laughs> He saw one that reigns above embassies. He saw one that reigns above every governmental structure. Like he saw one that reigns above every life, every disappointment, every loss. No matter what you're going through, the peace of God will strike your heart when you start coming around this revelation and seeing that God's at the center and he transcends everything that's going on in my life. Colossians 3.1, it says how we are set our hearts and our minds on things above it says where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That, that's the, that's the, the fact that he reigns. In other words, the scriptures invite us to lock into this reality. You feel like life is being shaken? What do you do? You need to come before the Lord and have a fresh picture that he's in control of your life. That he, like no matter what's going on, that he reigns. I've heard it said that uh, don't be too heavenly minded or you'll be no earthly good. How many of you heard that? Couldn't be farther from the truth. <laughs> the only ones that are earthly good are the ones that take time to lock into what's going on in the heavens. 
It's only those that actually tap into this, lock into this and make it their life pursuit to say, I'm gonna simplify my life so that I see him rightly. Daily, I'm gonna be a part of a body who prioritizes this. Only those who see the Lord rightly can have impact on this earth. Because if not, we'll be like what we said last week in Matthew 21, who's Jesus? And the crowds answered, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. It's not wrong. Oh, but it's so incomplete. Because what we're about to see here is those that really come up to the Lord and begin to see him, they begin to cry out, he's holy, he's worthy, he's the one who is and was and is to come. And like, this is what we need. Like, this is the type of witness that we need coming from the house. And so John sees a throne. And then verse three, what does John see next? He sees one seated on the throne with Jasper, Sardius, and Emerald. That's like a rainbow encircled around him. In other words, here's how you summarize this. What John is now seeing is the beauty realm of God. We, we talked about this in our Bridal Generation series. Do you know how important it is for believers to really engage with the beauty of God? What do I mean? I mean to really see who God is and what he does. When we're not fascinated by God, we start, like our heart starts looking towards other things. Listen, when you start seeing God rightly and you start seeing and being overwhelmed and fascinated by who he is and what he does, it changes you. This is how God liberates you from inferior pursuits is he reveals his beauty to your heart and you say, I want this. David, tabernacle of David, what did David say in Psalm 27, four? He said the one thing he pursues is to behold the beauty of the Lord. David says in every season, no matter what goes on in my life, I always resort right back to this truth. Do you think David started with that desire? Do you think David woke up one day and said, man, you know what I want more than anything else? I wanna see the beauty of God, right? Because some of you right now may say, man, this sounds great, but I just feel so far, or I'm just, I feel like that desire is nowhere near what, what I'm experiencing. Like my one desire above all else is to gaze upon his beauty, to behold him. How does that happen? Well, I believe what happened is that David set up a throne room in the tabernacle of David. And what started happening is David started seeing the beauty of God in that tabernacle. And once he started seeing it, David started saying, oh my goodness. I can almost imagine him penning this while he's in there. There is one thing I want now, Lord. Oh, I pursued so many things. I wanted the kingdom to grow. I wanted this. But now here's the one thing I want more than anything. Your beauty. I've never seen anything so fantastic, Lord. Like this is what I want. You want your heart to be like come in alignment with David's desire to see the beauty of the Lord. You've got to just become intentional about seeing God this way, prioritizing this. And I'm sharing all this because this is, this is a season where our vision is really being, um, I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's being concentrated. We've always said beholding, we've always emphasized it, but I feel like God is just giving such fresh sight. And I just wanna provoke your heart to jump in full steam ahead of what is happening here. Because before you know it, there's gonna be multiple sets and this is what we're gonna be marked by. Like we're gonna... Other stuff that we do, it's coming back, but God is just, he's just taking it away for a season. It just happened. Like Alpha, we love Alpha. I can't wait to start it next year, but it just didn't work out this year. I got upset. Then the Lord said, you have no idea what I'm doing right now. Just trust me. I'm gonna start reintroducing things, but this is gonna become the core. This is, I feel like God is answering things that we've prayed for. Like he's so faithful. He's actually answering the things that we have cried out for. Are you with me? So the, listen, he, he taps into the beauty realm of God. Again, I could go off on this. Jasper, Sardius, Emerald, these things reflect the colors. These colors reflect who God is, his nature. Uh, 
Jasper is uh, clear, diamond-like. It speaks to his brilliance. He's beautiful in truth. In him is no darkness. He is light. The sardius is red. It speaks to that he's a God of zeal and passion. He's a consuming fire. We hit on this hard a few weeks ago. Thank God he's a consuming fire. It means that he's, he won't just let us drift. <laughs> he, he's, he's not indifferent towards you. He's not detached towards you. Like he really cares for you. And the emerald green speaks to new life. And it's a rainbow. So it encircles a throne, which speaks to his faithfulness, which means when God moves and acts, it's always through the filter of faithfulness. He, everything he does is through his filter of mercy. Because if it wasn't, his consuming fire would just consume us. Man, it's so good, his beauty realm, and there's so much to tap into. But listen to this. John says, John says something in verse two. He says that he was in the spirit. He was in the spirit when he saw the beauty of God like this. Meaning he couldn't, he couldn't receive this like by the flesh. He needed to, to let the spirit really lead him. With that being said, Jesus says something interesting. He says, John, come up here and I will show you these things. So, the, so really what's happening is the Holy Spirit is gonna show John things, right? You follow me? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, do you know what it says? It says that the Holy Spirit searches out the things of God. Yes, even the deep things in order to reveal them to us. Do you, do you know that that's what's happening right here? The Spirit of God is searching out the deep things of God and revealing it to John. But here is the, here's the key. You do, not, you do not receive this on the run. You do not receive this when, when we are living at 100 miles an hour, prioritizing so many other things. It's, 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 not, a, it's not meant to be a hard thing. It's actually it's, it's an invitation to say we have access to this, but the question is, will we prioritize it? Like, will we say truly the presence of the Lord is all that we want? In fact, this is amazing to speak into how available it is. It says in the opening verse, it says, John says that a door was standing open in heaven. In apocalyptic literature, which is what Revelation is written in, oftentimes there are journeys of men or women going into the heavenlies. But when they go into the heavens, it's always met by some type of battle or barrier. There's always some type of fight in order to get into the heavenlies. Do you see John fighting here? No, all it says is that there is a door standing open in heaven. This is completely different. In other words, John didn't have to force a spiritual experience. John simply just had to respond to an invitation and be available. You say, Pastor, I've never seen the beauty of God like this. This is foreign to me. I've never encountered God this way. Here's what it usually always is in my own life. I simply haven't been available enough to let myself prioritize this. If I would actually just say like, I'm gonna do this, I promise you, God will begin showing you things and your heart will be forever changed. And a people will be released that's forever changed. Like this, man, this just so encourages my heart. So let's keep reading. I'll just share the, these few verses and just highlight a few things and we'll pray. Verse four says, around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders. This is what I was speaking about before. David, David had the exact same thing. And these 24 elders were sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads. These 24 elders, they represent old and new covenant believers, the fullness of believers, overcomers. Let me just share this. If you struggle with insecurity, 
If you struggle with a victim mentality, you need to really behold the Lord and get a vision of who you are in Christ. This is Ephesians 2 language that you have been raised and seated with Christ. Like you've been crowned. You wanna know how you break the victim mentality? You need to see that you've been dignified by the Lord. He's actually crowned you and you start living on earth according to your heavenly identity. Like this is so critical. So many believers living as orphans, not fully grasping who they are in the Lord. And it's because we actually don't take time to be with him and see it rightly. This is so, so, so important. So it says, uh, verse five, and from the throne preceding lightnings, thunderings, and voices, Psalm 29 says the Lord's voice thunders. It's probably his voice. It's just an incredible scene of just glory everywhere. <laughs> seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, which is really the one spirit, the Holy Spirit, seven meaning it's the full expression of him. So there's just so much happening here. Verse six, before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal, Probably in some way it's reflecting all that's happening. Imagine all these lights radiating. Now they're just being reflected, these voices being reflected. Like the glory is just, it's everywhere. <laughs> that's what's happening here. But I, I want you to catch this. These are the four living creatures. And this is kind of how we'll finish is just highlight uh, uh, something really important with them. It says, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Wow. I'm not gonna explain what all of them mean, but I can tell you this, the, 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 one of the main descriptions about them is that they have six wings and they cry out, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah had a vision in chapter six of the throne room of God. He also saw these creatures that had six wings crying out, holy, holy, holy. They are called the seraphim. Do you know what seraphim means? It means burning ones, burning ones. I wonder, why do these creatures burn? Because they are filled with eyes outside and inside, which means all that they do day and night is they keep seeing from fresh perspectives and from new angles the beauty and glory of God. Do you wanna know how to burn for the Lord? You have to see him. You can't work it up. You can't manufacture it. All you have to do is just start staring at him through his word, through worship, and I promise you this, dead stuff starts falling off your heart staleness just starts breaking off. You can't help it. You know when someone's been beholding the Lord. You don't even have to like ask them, like, what do you do? You just say, man, it's on this person. You see it in their eyes, in their voice, the way they speak. You say, man, you, you've, been, you've been with him. When the disciples were brought before the Sanhedrin in Acts, they said, these are uneducated men, but one thing we know with their authority, they've been with Jesus. That's all we know. They must have been with Jesus because look at the way that they walk. Guys, it's, it's, I study, I've been to, to school for this. I'm not devaluing any of that, but the primary thing is, is beholding the lamb. That's why we're doing these things because nothing will change you more than this. Spend 50 years in the Lord. 
It's 50 years in the Lord. If you don't know this, I promise you, a person who's been one year in the Lord, who has learned the secret of beholding Jesus daily, he will far surpass maturity than the one who's been in the Lord 50 years. Because it is not about stringing together consecutive years of just confessing Christ as Lord. There's intimacy, there's relationship. He wants to encounter us. It's a great privilege that we have. And so these burning ones are covered with eyes. What does that mean? That means that worship is connected to sight. The more we see him, the more we will offer up our lives as living sacrifices. The more that our lives will be worshiped unto him. But if we stop seeing him, we start like retracting back to old ways. I, I, I believe this whole, wholeheartedly. If you want to grow in worship, just stare at him until you can't take it anymore. <laughs> do, do you, like, how many people here like to lead worship in some form or fashion? Right? I know we're all worshipers, but there's a lot of worship leaders here. Here's my bit of advice that the Lord was speaking this week. You want to you wanna know how to get crowd participation? It's not about learning new techniques. Listen, there's a place for stewarding and doing things with excellence. I get that. But that's secondary to this. You want to get people to actually start engaging? They need to see someone who's caught a glimpse of his glory. That's what they need to see. And it doesn't matter. Listen, you could have a full band. If those people do not prioritize the presence of God... It could entertain, but it's not going to change hearts. Give me one person. Give me Caesar on a guitar right up here with no music. And I know that he's seen the Lord. And I promise you this, stuff starts happening. Because he is, he's caught a glimpse of the glory of God. Like that's what it is. And all of our worship leaders are like that. I'm just highlighting him because he plays guitar. And so it says there's unceasing worship in verse 8. You know what that means? They never get tired. They never get bored. They never say, what do we do next? They never say how much longer because they keep seeing them. They just say, man, this is, this is what we were made for. And I understand on this side of eternity, there, there's, we, we may have not stepped into the fullness of that, but I know there's so much more. And I know the Holy Spirit wants to reveal Jesus to us in this way. And so I'll leave you with these last few verses here. Verse nine says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And that's how it ends. Worship, Craig Keener said this, is a great scholar. He said, worship is not the invention of nice things to say about God. It's actually recognizing who God already is. So when we come around the Lord, what really happens is we're actually beginning to see him. And when we see him, worship is the natural response. And here it says something so critical in verse 9. It says, when the four living creatures worship, the elders see their worship. And when the elders see their worship, what does it say they do? It says they step off their thrones that God gave them. They take off their crowns. They lay it down and they begin to worship him saying you are worthy. In other words, when the elders see someone who has seen him rightly and that worship that's being offered up, it confronts them and says, wait a minute, we've got to jump in line with this. He is worthy of this type of praise. And I promise you the more, the more that we stay consistent and getting before God, right now we have Friday nights, but the more we do that on Sundays, whatever it may be, and the more we start doing this, the more of us to get in front of this, I promise you there's a worship that's going to come forth. There's a witness that's going to come forth. And all of a sudden, it's going to affect people around here. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your coworkers. 
they're gonna see it on your life. And there's something beautiful that's coming. Chapter five is the second part of this vision. I think we'll probably get into that next week. And then we'll talk about how, how David's kingdom was expanding simply because people were just beholding the Lord. And it's gonna be beautiful. Are you guys following me? Are we ready for beholding night again? Look, the, the, I, my one thing I regret is that we're, uh, you know, we're just capped at 30. So again, if you can't make it or if it's filled, watch online, stay connected with us. And I promise you in a few weeks, we're gonna get more going. L- listen, we're gonna be a house of prayer. We're gonna have unceasing worship and prayer coming up from this place and just get ready. Like the stuff that we're gonna see and what the Lord's gonna do, I just feel it in my spirit, all right? You guys excited? Yeah, so I wanna, I wanna just pray. I wanna continue to pray into this. So just bow your heads with me. I know we're just, I feel like we're teaching and releasing and then we get to activate it this week in your life, even if you don't come Friday night. It can be activated every day, every time you come away with the Lord. I want you to really just grasp that that's where you're going. In fact, next week you're gonna see that our prayers even right now, it says the prayers of the saints are actually coming up before the Lord. So when you pray and worship, what you do on this earth, the Lord says, I'm receiving it unto myself. Come on, if we catch that, we won't have to force ourselves to get into prayer. We'll have to force ourselves to get out. (laughs) And so Lord, I just pray as we continue to really shift course and obey what you're, what you're saying, what you're speaking. I pray for each and every person that's here, that's listening online, that this would go so far beyond messages. But I pray that your word is, is, is literally stirring faith right now. I pray, God, that you would just open up uh, hearts, hearts that have been cold to you, hearts that maybe just feel distant, Lord. Hearts that feel like this is not for them. Hearts that feel confused by this still. And I pray, Lord, wherever I've made it confusing, I pray, Lord, you'd make it so simple. And I pray that that, that they would just see, like David, once we start seeing your beauty, once we start encountering you this way, Lord, it is our chief pursuit in life. And so I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom as a body as we move forward on how to establish a tabernacle of David, a house of prayer. I pray you would raise up musicians and singers. I pray you would raise up creative expressions to worship you with the arts, with dancing. Lord, I pray it would be a celebration of the gospel in this house, that we get to commune with you. And I pray that from this place, Lord, that we would start declaring and decreeing your will for this community for our lives, God, that we would see, truly see your kingdom come on earth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. Listen, if there's anyone here who would like prayer for anything, it doesn't need to be about what we're speaking about, I encourage you to uh, um, connect with me or um, we'll have some prayer people up here. But other than that, God bless you guys. Didn't we uh, luck out some beautiful weather here today? This was amazing. Let's just keep praying for that. All right, guys, God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week.